Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November 20th, 2014, and this is episode... Uh, 1469 of the Survival Podcast, and today is a special event. It really is. Today is something coming to fruition after almost three years. This was October of 20, so two years, 2012, October, that this idea really had its genesis, and then into November it crystallized, and today it exists, it's real, it's ready to go, and you can be part of it. It's called Citizens Assisting Citizens. It originally was con conceived as being the TSP Disaster Response Team. It is an organization, a group that you can either join or support, where we go out during disasters and help people. You're going to hear about it, all about it today. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it before I introduce our special guests today, Stephen Harris and Greg Gray, who are part of the Board of Directors and the team that put together the actual organization. Before I bring them on, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. And sponsor of the day number one today is, who is it? It is BulkAmmo.com. Hey, look, you got a gun, you got no ammo, you can have either something you can either sell and get some money out of or a really expensive club or a movie prop, or something that can get you killed because it looks dangerous, and it's not. That's what a gun without ammo is. So you need ammo. You need it because you might need the ammo for self-defense, because you might need the ammo to put food on the table. But you also need it because unless you run that gun and train with it, you're not going to be good at doing either one of those other things. When I'm looking to buy ammo in bulk, I go to the obvious source, BulkAmmo.com. I think you should, too. All the common calibers are there. The shipping is so fast, your neck will snap at how quick your ammo ends up on your doorstep. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, check out Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor, the sponsor that's been with us now, yeah, almost six years. January will be six years. Safe Castle supported the survivalpodcast.com. Most podcasts don't last six years, let alone support from a sponsor. Check them out today at safecastle.com. They have everything you need from your for your prepping, from the practical to the tactical, and everything in between. Safecastle.com. Next up today, um, Consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you haven't done so already, please consider doing so. It's how we pay the bills around here. It's how we actually earn a living. Uh, my sponsorship is kept very low because I see my sponsorships as partnerships and recommendations to you. And because I have loyal sponsors like Bulk Ammo and Safe Castle that have been with me for years, and I don't feel comfortable just constantly raising rates because our listenership goes up. So I have chosen to monetize this show through the Member Support Brigade. That's how we pay for everything. That's how we pay for dedicated servers, etc. And that's how we make sure that I do this thing full-time. And that's why you get five shows a week, some two hours longer, longer. That's how you get great guests. And inside the MSB, it's not like it's a charity, guys. I mean, the MSB has over uh, $200 worth of ebooks you get the day you join. That's a $50 a year membership or a $5 a month membership. Discounts to over 60 providers. I just added four new ones I announced yesterday. I'll put out a blog post about it today. Free content that's available nowhere else. Check it out today. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members or the members support brigade banner. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters all qualify for a discount. Email me before, not after you join. Put a service discount in the subject line. Tell me one or two sentences about your service, and I'll get that code back to you again. Please do this before, not after you join. With that, let us look at the year that was the episode. The year 1469. We have 
Machiavellian beginnings. It is better to be feared than loved. And the Aztec calendar stone. I'm going to read the Aztec calendar stone to you. I do want to say something about Machiavellian, who was born this day, this year. Uh, and that's why Alex Strug put him in there. Is It's no, well known that he said it is better to be feared than loved, but that is a short coming on understanding what Machiavellian really had to say. He actually said, it is better to be loved than feared, but if you can only choose one, you're leading a military, choose fear. So, a little bit mischaracterization. You can learn more about Machiavellian at the TSP Wiki for the year 1469. I'm going to read to you the Aztec Calendar Stone. Few images are more iconic of the Aztec civilization than the Sunstone. The circular Aztec calendar with a face in the center, the exact date of its composition is unknown, but it was commissioned sometime during the reign of the sixth Aztec emperor. The emperor takes the throne this year. His name is a mouthful, so we'll skip that part. The Sunstone weighs over 24 short tons. A short ton is a 2,000-pound U.S. measured ton. The calendar was unknown to the conquistadors because the Aztecs buried it, but it will be uncovered 300 years later, later while a plaza is under construction in Mexico City in 1790. My take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us at TSP Wiki, the Aztec calendar was more of a religious device to know what ritual was to be performed on a particular day. Since ancient times, tracking the sun as it moved across the horizon would mark when crops were to be planted. In Europe in the late 1400s, it was obvious that the Julian calendar had inaccuracies that would cause months to drift relative to the seasons. If you ever wondered why December, which means the 10th month, is the 12th month, now you know. The modern Gregorian calendar with a leap year was introduced in 1582, but it wasn't fully accepted until 1923 when the final European country approved of the modern calendar. Yeah, that 365 and a quarter days will screw you over time. Every four years, you're missing a day. Uh, do that for a few decades and you're missing four days, right? You know, four decades, four days. Uh, do it for a little bit longer. Next thing you know, you've got weeks coming out and everything's screwed up because the planting of the crops is done in a week, certain week that you do it. So uh, now you know all about that. Uh, my take on this is, hey, ain't it cool that that big giant stone predicted the end of the world as we know it and it didn't happen? Just saying. Anyway, with that, let's talk about the main topic of today's show. Before I bring our guests on, uh, Greg Gray and Stephen Harris, uh, let me give you the background for those that are newer to the show and don't know about it. In October of 2012, I rolled out of a warm, comfortable bed. I headed to my kitchen, poured myself a cup of hot coffee, as my morning ritual would dictate. I walked my dogs, and at the time I was living in Arkansas, I breathed in the cool fall air, beautiful mountain air in Arkansas. Uh, and got ready to head to my office, and at the time we called the office the Ant Hill. It was on the Highway 7 Ridge Line uh, near Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. And I went inside and I turned on the news to see how things were going for victims of Hurricane Sandy. I had been following the storm pretty closely, and, and it was already you know, pretty evident what was going on. But this was around uh, Halloween, right around the 31st. And I sat there just awestruck at what I saw. And not so much from the devastation, because it was expected. I, I knew that this was going to happen. And again, I'd followed the storm really closely. I was mostly struck by how little people had and how unprepared they were. I watched upper-middle-class people dumpster diving for food only two days after the aftermath. I watched as people clamored where anywhere there was power to, to use small power stations uh, to charge cell phones and tablets, because they couldn't even charge a, a phone. I watched people who had waited for days for some level of help get no help. 
Some I felt like, why the hell don't you get out of there and go to where you can get help and get supplies. Others I realized had nowhere to go, no car, or their car was dead from the stormwaters. I watched big charities like the Red Cross run countless TV commercials to raise funds and not do much for the first week. Later, we would hear from Red Cross's own employees that funds and assets were diverted away from storm response. Based on the Red Cross's Haitian response, I had already expect, suspected this. Um, after considering this, I climbed into my big old red Ford F-350 and drove to the anthill. During that 15-minute drive, all I wanted to do was go home, load up some stuff, and drive to New York or New Jersey and help. Help anybody I could. But I realized something. I wasn't prepared to help. I would not really know where to go, who to help, what to do, how to do it, and likely the first responders there would see me as a hindrance and prevent me from helping. I started to conceive of a faster, more agile response force, one run by preppers that would ignore a lot of the red tape, but be official enough to operate without interference by other responders. One that would simply go where the other organizations were not helping yet or where they were never going to help. It would provide food, water, power, communications, a place to clean up, and some guidance to people for what to do next. The critical thing was we could help in the first 72 hours when the big companies were just getting set up so they eventually could help. A group where inbound volunteers would communicate with on-the-ground scouts and buy what was needed on the way in. So if you contributed to help today, your contribution could help today for the event you contributed to. That's what I wanted. When, when they're saying, we're raising for Hurricane Sandy, that you contributed 50 bucks, and an hour later, items purchased with that $50 would show up in somebody that needed them's hand. That's what I wanted it to be. So that day, I floated the idea on the air. About 13 days later, later, the idea had coalesced into a concept I first called the TSP DRT, with DRT standing for Disaster Response Team. And I did a podcast about that concept. You can hear the original concept in that podcast and a link in today's show notes. But from there, I assembled the Honcho team, is what I called it at first. Uh, uh, two of whom that joined the team were Greg Gray and Stephen Harris. And they're joining us today to discuss the final result citizens assisting citizens. It's been a long journey. You'll hear all about that, and you'll hear what we finally came up with and how we're ready to roll now and how you can be part of it now and how you can volunteer to join the team now, how we need regional coordinators and you can become one now, and how if you want to contribute financially, you can do that now, and how the next time there is a disaster, we're going to roll out and we're going to get it done and what we're going to do. All right, with that, I want to say, Steve and Greg, guys, welcome to the Survival Podcast. For you, Steve, welcome back. Well, thank you, Jack. Nice to be back. Hey, Jack. Good to be here. So uh, if we can take you guys one at a time, uh, we'll go with Greg first, because uh, you haven't been on the air with me before. Uh, Greg, can you give people just a little background about who you are and how you got into the whole preparedness mindset in the first place? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I I kind of stumbled into it. I I, I was... Back in my 20s, I was prepping before prepping was prepping, and uh, lived out on a 300-acre farm, grew wheat, you know, gardened the whole nine yards. And then life happened, and you fast-forward to today, and now I'm a single dad of three kids that are homeschooled. I've got two businesses, um, you know, just just uh, just a busy, busy life. But the, the main reason I'm here today is because I'm on the board of directors for the Citizens Assisting Citizens. Well, cool, man, and we'll get into that here in just a second. Steve, could you? Uh, I could say you need no introduction, but like I said, there's people that showed up yesterday. Um, so, could you give people a little bit on your background and uh, how you got into the preparedness world? 
I got into preparedness back in the 1990s because I, you know, self-directed, thought there was a need for it, and started with three days worth of food and moved that up into an entire year's worth of food. Uh, in the 1990s, I did a lot of presentations on uh, preparedness because I thought I had a real unique uh, viewpoint on how to do it. And then uh, in the uh, 2000s, I started my own publishing business, and part of it was preparedness-related. And then someplace back there in the late two, uh, 2000s, I met you, Jack, and uh, I've been on your show about 16, 17 times. And uh, my focus is generally on energy and how to power your house from your car, how to store fuel, how to select a generator. And I've done shows with you all on those subjects uh, in the past. And now I was invited and asked to be a board member of CAC team and to the citizen assistance, citizen assisting citizens team and to uh, contribute my talents to it and see if we couldn't uh, get things up and rolling. Cool, and, and it's important that the audience know that both of you guys are on the board of directors with CAC. Uh, as we get into where we're at now, the, let me kind of catch the audience up as to where this came from with the Genesis. Uh, back when Hurricane Sandy hit, uh, I was living in Arkansas, and I'm driving to work in my pickup truck, and I'm thinking about all the things I just saw on TV, and my thought was, I want to go home, load up a bunch of shit, cancel the show for a week, and drive to New Jersey and just start handing shit out. And I realized, like, that's that's not really practical. The logistics aren't there. When it comes to running a relief effort, I don't really have the infrastructure in place. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm connected to thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are involved with preparedness, that have basic preparedness, that want to help other people, that, that look at disasters like this and go, We'd like to help. And at the same time, I'm watching the Red Cross completely fall down on the job. People sitting weeks and weeks without the most basic assistance. Stuff sitting across the street from the people that need it, but whatever paperwork needed to be filled out wasn't done. And I'm thinking, we could have vehicles inbound. We could have people on the ground right away letting everybody else know. That, you know, if there's a disaster, you're not running to Costco on the corner, but Costco 150 miles out is probably fully stocked picking up stuff, and at least the contributions that came out of our community could be put directly to effect. And I came up with this idea, and at the time we called it the TSP Disaster Response Team, and it was linked right in with the Survival Podcast brand. And eventually, as I put together, we called it a honcho team. That eventually morphed into uh, board of directors, regional directors, etc. And I said, you guys need to take this over and run with this. I have like my own world. And I don't really know how to do this either. And you guys are part of that team that coalesced around that. But we made a decision like, okay, let's make sure TSP is really involved in this, but let's also not make them synonymous with each other from a branding standpoint, from any kind of uh, problem working with first responders that might have a, a paranoid view of, you know, like survival or what have you. Or if somebody sues me, let's not let, let it take down, a, you know, a 501c3 that I helped inspire to, to get off the ground. So we, we kind of took that approach then of splitting the name and turning into citizens assisting citizens. And, you know, my idea was raw and rough, and you guys massaged it. So whichever one wants to can take this one. What is the current C CAC team status, what is it, what's its mission, and how does it fit still with TSP? All right, Jack. Uh, Steve, I think I'll take this one. This is Greg. 
Um, CAC team is Citizens Assisting Citizens Incorporated, as you said. Uh, you can find us at CACteam.com. We are a civilian-based, non-governmental disaster relief organization. We're composed of individuals from the TSP community. We provide basic food and water and power capabilities for recharging phones, those kinds of things. Well, just like you said, Jack, we're meant to be agile and on the ground helping people before anyone else is. And, and like you said, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning that every donation we receive from the TSP community is tax deductible. Now, what we're going to be doing is when, when, when a disaster happens, we're going to be starting with the people on the fringe who typically don't get assistance. And then as we're, as we're helping people and meeting their needs, then we're going to try to help pass along the thinking of being prepared at the same time so that when future issues are, uh, happen, they're in, a better sh- they're in better shape. Um, we are completely and legally separate from TSP. We're not related in any other way other than we are your brainchild, Jack. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, up until now, at least, most of the participation has come out of, out of the community. But, I mean, I think our, all of our hope is to broaden that. There will be people that hear about uh, CAC and say, oh, that's something I want to be part of, even if they're not part of the listening audience or the Zello forum or the forum or anything else that's directly related. We're kind of the, the birthplace, but now let it become its own thing. And... Uh, you guys are looking for help, right? So there's some positions open with the CAC team right now. What type of positions are open and available, and what type of people do you need? Well, that's that's a good question. Um, the positions that are available are the, are the positions that anyone from the TSB audience could uh, could fill. We're made up already so much uh, from the TSP community. Uh, in fact, that's why we're here today. We we are absolutely ready. To uh, for the TSP audience to volunteer to respond to emergencies and to begin to donate money to begin gearing up for operations. Our uh, our organization is structured in, in in a way that where we have an executive director named Tom Patterson. Then we have ten regional directors, of which we still need six more regional directors, and then we have volunteers that are going to actually respond to the emergencies. Last but not least are the very important people who may not be able to respond but can donate the funds through our website at cacteam.com that'll that'll make all this work possible. And let's talk about the donations here for a minute. Like one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I watched so many big nonprofits use these disasters as fundraising opportunities and then having first-hand response uh, or first-hand knowledge of what went on on the ground, knowing that very little of that money ever got there. So an example that we wouldn't respond to because we're not international would be the Haitian earthquake, where there was $350 million taken in by the American Red Cross. And I have people from small charities that were down there on the ground and, like, they were there for three weeks and saw, like, one tank with a Red Cross on it, and that was it. It was the entire presence, and it was sitting in the middle of a field empty. So when I saw that, I'm like, we, this, this agility concept is important, but it's also the case that like when this stuff happens, what's needed at disaster A might be slightly different than what's needed at disaster B, uh, especially what's critically needed. 
So this was all designed so that we want people donating, you know, day to day. But if there is a, if there's something acute that happens, we have this set up just so that everybody's clear where people could be donating because this just happened and we could be applying it to assistance on that very event right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It can be that day with the way the donations are set up and everything else. You can make a donation through CACteam.com. Let's say a hurricane swipes in through the south, south Gulf of Mexico, and uh, CAC team is going to respond. Jack can put the word out. You can make those donations, and those donations go directly to us, which we can then load onto uh, debit cards that uh, each of our uh, volunteers have, and they can go to the store and buy things and buy gasoline, they can buy food and water, and they can be responding with with what TSP has contributed that day. I, I don't know that anybody else has done anything like that, and, and, and I'd like to thank both of you and everybody on, on the Honcho team and the directors for making that happen because that was exactly what I wanted. That was like that was my vision that we could actually do that, and it, I, I think that's one of those things that you know the probably the most complicated thing we went through and what took so long was the freaking government and getting the 501 status approved and things like that. But something that simple is something somebody else should have done a long time ago, but I guess it's preppers to the rescue uh, once again, so to speak. But as you're looking for people to join the team, are we running background checks on folks to make sure that, you know, we don't have an ax murderer out there with our debit card on his way to home Depot? Oh, absolutely. We're the, the first thing we're going to be doing once they, uh, have filled out the volunteer form at cac19.com is doing the background check. Now, the main, you know, sometimes you, you say background check and people kind of flinch. The main thing we're looking for are the axe murderers, the DUIs, the felonies, child or sex abuse, the things that are going to be a, a real issue for the, for the community they're going to help. And, uh, you know, that, that's the main thing we're going to be looking for. Well, it gives us a big level of assurance to to the first responders that we're going to interact with when we get on scene, because you show up, we're here to help. Well, the local sheriff or the local city police department or whatever, the local fire departments, they only feel like that's our job to do, first of all. And then second of all, they also feel like, well, how do I know you're here to help? How do I know you're legitimate? So by being set up as a proper NGO, non-governmental organization, having uh, the charity status, having the background checks, having a credible web presence that, you know, they could check you out right away. Like, who do you say you are and who are you from? And if they pull up, we're there, we're legitimate. That should give them a lot more confidence in not just working with us, but allowing us to do our work. Because many times those guys don't actually want you working with them. They want you to get out of their way because they have their things they're doing. But then that means there's this whole group of people that are over here that like they just don't have the resources, and those are the people we want to help. And it, so at the same time, they need to feel like it's a, these people are here actually here to help. They're actually doing something useful. They know what they're doing. They have some level of training. They have an organization. They have a structure. They have accountability. And the fact that we you know we're publicly stating we background check our, our volunteers that also is and and we're not bringing Charles Manson and Timothy McVeigh into your town at, at your weakest point um, as well. So it, it's great that we have that up. Um, so how do people join? Do they just, you know, are we, we'll take, are we taking anybody as long as you pass a background check? How do you apply? How's that work? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, to join CAC team is just like donating to CAC. 
you only have to go to the website, cacteam.com, and fill out our volunteer form. Then what's going to happen is we're going to be sent that form, and we're going to uh, contact you as quickly as we can. Now, I hope everyone's aware that you know after we're on the show today, you know, 100,000 or plus people listening to us, uh, we're going to hear from a lot of people. So our, ret- our response time for the next few weeks is probably going to be rather slow, but then after that, after we get through that initial backlog, uh, it should be fairly quick, and and then once we take the once we take the uh, volunteer forms, we'll do the background checks. Then we'll we'll get them set up with their regional directors, and we'll start working towards training and moving in the in the direction to get them ready to respond to an emergency. Okay, and I I'm looking at the notes here that I have for this show, and there's some terminology here that I I think I understand based on the logistics I wanted to see out of CAC. In, in the first place, but I think it'd be something the audience might be very interested in. What I have are, are three uh, different vehicles, sc- or, or scout anchor vehicles and feeder vehicles. Can you talk about what those are and how they fit the CAC model? Yeah, we had to come up with a concept of how do we respond. Just how do we get a, a, a response out to the community? And we're going to kind of do this like ants do, okay? We've got a scout anchor vehicle, which is a one term for a vehicle. It's one vehicle. It's a full-size pickup truck, and it's configured with items that the CAC team, us, that has sent to the volunteer, you, who has volunteered to go to this location, and we do this before the crisis. You're pre-configured. In this example, a person or a team with a pickup truck will go to a disaster area with tools and items that we supply to you. Now, let me read the list of items that we supply to you, the volunteer with the pickup truck. First of all, we have an 800-watt Whistler inverter. This, if, if you've had any of the Steve Harris classes, you'll know what to do, and you'll have these before you become a volunteer. So you have an 800-watt Whistler inverter, and with this, you now have electricity. You have electricity for LED lights. You get electricity for charging phones. You get electricity for doing the basic stuff that you need to do. You're also going to have a pop-up canopy, one of the canopies like you see all over the place where you just pull on each end and it pops up real quickly, and you, you'll put this at the back end of your pickup truck or wherever you're setting up. You will have two six-foot tables onto which you can put supplies and you can uh, help people put stuff out in water and food and with which you're going to help people. You'll have several chairs to your liking, uh, camping chairs or folding chairs. You're going to have a flashing orange strobe light that says, here I am, here I am, here I am. So as you're driving into a location, you look legitimate because you got two magnetic signs on each side of the truck that says, Citizens Assistance, uh, Citizens Assisting Citizens Team, CAC.com. You got an orange strobe light. You're wearing green vest. You look, you got, you know, probably uh, an ID badge around your neck. You look legitimate like you belong there. Because you are legitimate and you do belong there. That's right. And, and you know, to answer your question, if the Red Cross says, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Get out of here. There's plenty of places in a disaster where they aren't are, where we can be, and we will go help. Exactly. So disaster areas are pretty big. If we have to go sit up in front of a church parking lot, we're going to do it. We're going to help the people who aren't being helped. We're going to help the people who we can. 
you're going to have a 20-foot heavy-duty 10,000-pound tow strap. So either you can be self-rescued yourself, whether it be a blizzard situation or you go off into part of a ditch, or there's a tree blocking the road. You can throw a tow strap around the tree, back up, hook up to the truck, back up, pull the thing away, and get into the destination. You're going to have a basic first aid kit, okay, but most of which consists of band-aids because, yes, we are going to have some people who are EMTs and paramedics, and those people can operate underneath those laws in, in their state and where they are with assisting people with their EMT and paramedic skills. As far as us volunteers go, if someone comes up and says you're injured and you got a broken bone, you're bleeding badly, we're dialing 911 and giving the professionals there. If you got a cut or a scrape, we're giving you a Band-Aid and saying, here, you can put it on. Hmm. Um, that was a very long discussion about what we're going to do with first aid and CAC team version 1.0. But the main thing is we're not doctors and we can't practice medicine. You're going to have extension cords, reflector lamps, 9-watt LED light bulbs, so you're well lit up at, at night. People can see you. People are like moss to a flame at, in the night. They're drawn to you. You have a number of extension cords, and you're going to have 10 Power Gen 4.2-amp, 20-watt dual USB chargers. And these are going to be set up in a charging station with three-way electrical outlets, as I've described in so many of my different shows I've done with Jack. And we will be able to power up to 20 cell phones at a time. We'll be able to recharge up to 20 or more cell phones at a time. That's 20 with just our ability. If someone shows up with their own charger and cord, they, it will be more. But we will all, since people might just you know, have their house blown away in a tornado and might be left with just their cell phone in their pocket and their shirt on their back, we're going to have quite an assortment of USB to micro-USB cables, which will handle all Android devices. We're going to have USB to 30-pin Apple connectors for people with iPhones 4 uh, and older. And we're going to have USB to lightning cables uh, for people with new, newer iPhones. So basically, we'll be able to charge 95% of all the phones out there, even if you're showing up to us without a charger. I, I don't think people realize how important that really is for people in a disaster because that phone becomes their link to all information in and all information out. Yeah, it does. And I think you have to be, if you've ever been stripped down to where that's your, that's your linchpin of society, then you get it. Then you understand. You're correct. Now, this works out, what I just read to you, it works out to be between $800 and $1,000 worth of stuff. And the big cost in there is, whether it's 800 or 1000 is the magnetic signs, which one of our volunteers showed us where to get for 50 bucks instead of 300 bucks at Kinko's. Nice. So, I mean, it's about 800 to to $1,000 worth of stuff that we supply to a volunteer who's qualified before the disaster. So this is... You know, all stuff that we're, we're giving you, loaning you, before a disaster happens. Now, all, all but a few of these items are on, are on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So when you qualify as a volunteer, uh, we can buy all the items on Amazon and just send them directly to you. The majority of the stuff you need to be a CAC team responder in a scout anger vehicle will show up on your doorstep. Now, the few things that you're going to have to buy locally is the pop-up tent, uh, the table, and the chairs. 
Okay. And those are those are all available at Sam's Club, and funds will be made available to you to get those locally because they're just too expensive to ship. But the majority of the stuff, except for those three things, is going to be dumped right to you uh, via Amazon. Uh, it's not like it's going to be coming from 100 different places. Now, this is all funded by your donations through CACteam.com website. If you can't help, your donations will be used very, very well. Now, as a scout anchor vehicle, you are the first one on the disaster. You get requested to go to a disaster by the regional coordinator. And if you accept, then you load up with food and water, which we'll discuss in a minute, and you go to the disaster area. You're a scout. You find an area that needs assistance. You could be parked in the exact disaster path of a tornado. Uh, you could be in the parking lot of a fire department after a hurricane. You could be in the parking lot of a church that is trying to help out locally, and then you throw out your anchor. Bang. I'm speaking figuratively here, but that's why you're that. called a, a scout anchor vehicle. Yeah. Okay. You are now anchored at that location, and you are helping people. You communicate back to your regional director where you are so we know where to send the feeder vehicles. Now, if we know you're going to need more supplies or if you're running low and you contact the regional director, we'll then have a feeder vehicle bring you more supplies. Look, you can only bring so much. I mean, 700 liter, one liter bottles of water, that's, you know, 1,400 pounds. That's a, you better have a two-ton pickup truck for yeah. delivering that. Water is cheap but heavy. Now, the feeder vehicle, this can be a person in a regular car or a regular SUV, but they go and pick up more food and water, and they bring it to you at your location. If they want, they can help out for a while, a few hours or whatever, until it gets dark, but then they go back home that day. As a scout anchor vehicle, you're there. Now, as a scout anchor vehicle, you know whether it's you and your wife, you and your buddy, you and a friend, whether it's one and two or three or, or three of you, we want you, you, one, two, or three, to have enough food, water, shelter, and supplies just for yourself for three days. This okay. is in case you get stuck there due to a disaster condition like, oh, there's an earthquake, and you go out and help. Well, then there's an afterquake, and it cracks the pavement on your way out, and you're stuck there for a little bit. Okay, Or if you want to, and you're able to stay there that long for three days, and you've got the time to do it, we want you to be able to do it. So you need to have enough stuff for yourself for three days, even though we're giving out stuff to the public, and we have feeder vehicles bringing this stuff into you. Yeah, we this, don't our responder to become a burden on the other responders. You got that 100% correct. This does not mean that a scout anchor vehicle can't pick up and move to a new area that needs assistance, okay? Or that it can't drive out of the, of the disaster area, get more supplies, and return. It's just that the original concept is for it to go out and find an area of need, like an ant that goes out and finds a, uh, a dead bug, and they stay there, and then the other ants, the feeder vehicles, bring more supplies into it. Gotcha. So my question would be on this one, and this is where we're off the notes that I have here, but it just makes me think of this. 
there's probably people out there that go, a grand to configure my vehicle that way? Not only do I want to be a team member, but I'll self-configure. As long as we know that that vehicle's configured, we'd be okay with that because that allows us to put our resources to other things. So there's people out there that say, as far as the power requirements, I need all the attachments and stuff, but since I've already built my Stephen Harris mobile battery bank, I've got power out the butt on my truck. Uh, in those situations, we'd adapt what we need to provide to what the person actually requires. Yes, if you want to self-fund yourself, please, I'll supply you with a list of all the equipment. And I'll give you an example. You know, we're trying to fund you as much as possible to be a volunteer to go out and do the stuff. We'll pay for your gas if you have to. If you can pay for your own fuel for driving in and out, the better. Uh, one thing we're definitely paying for, we're paying for the food and water. Mm-hmm. I am a reserve deputy sheriff in the county that I live in. Uh, now, the classes were free, and it took about six months to go through the classes, but we had to buy all our own stuff. We had to buy our own gun. We had to buy our own uniform. We had to buy our own bulletproof vest. We had to buy our own bullets for training. So there's lots of precedents out there for people who are volunteering. And I go out as a volunteer sheriff uh, in the reserve. I don't get paid a penny either. <laughs> so there's lots of precedents out there for people who are fully capable of saying, you know what, thank you very much for the offer of getting supplies, but I will self-donate myself and configure my vehicle to your list, and I will be able to respond. And those people are, are, are most welcome and desired <laughs> in, this, in the CAC team. So we've talked a little bit about some of the basic stuff that we go out in the anchor vehicle and stuff, but and we've talked about some of the limits, too, because the, the medical issue, I was still involved in discussions at that point, and it's very clear that there's certain things we cannot do or we risk the organization itself. We risk individual liability. But can we talk a little bit more about what will the CAC team distribute and how will they help people in need beyond here's a place to charge your phone and here's a bottle of water? This subject has been a huge point of discussion with the CAC team board members. The board members get together every month, and we have discussions that can last up to four hours. And we've put dozens of hours into into this discussion of what will CAC team supply. We decided for version 1.0 of CAC team, we decided to keep it simple and to the basics. Now, there's four things in a disaster that we came up with that you need that we can supply. One is water. We're going to bring up to 700 one-liter bottles, if we can, to a location. Smaller trucks bring smaller amounts. Bigger trucks bring bigger amounts. So we take care of your thirst. Your first need is water. Second is food. Now, I'm not talking about a soup kitchen or anything else complicated here. We're going to do the same thing that the Salvation Army does on its frontline vehicles. We're going to hand out cookies or crackers and snack-sized packages. In this case, we're picking stuff up exclusively from Sam's Club. And we're getting Austin crackers, and they come six to a package, and they're either cheese or peanut butter or a variety pack. The vehicles will be picking up about, believe it or not, 80 bucks in water. Water is cheap at Sam's Club and it's heavy. And they'll be picking up about $300 in crackers to, distri- to distribute. Now, this is not a willy-nilly number. This has been worked out by us to about three packages of crackers, so 18 crackers to every 
one liter bottle of water. <laughs> this will put a dent in your hunger. Okay, it'll give you just enough to what you need to help get you by in a disaster situation. You don't need nutrition. You need calories. Remember, we're there as a front line. We get there before anyone else does. We're doing version 1.0 CAC team right now, and that does not include a soup kitchen. As we grow with you, the TSPA audience, okay, as we grow with you, and as we expand, we may start to add more to what we're doing and what we can offer. But for right now, to get off the ground and started right now, we're doing crackers and water plus two more things. And starting right now is you volunteering to be one of the people going out to help in a disaster. Now, the third thing we're supplying is what Jack said is so valuable, is USB power to your cell phone for communications. Each Scout Anchor vehicle will have an inverter, USB chargers, 10 of them for charging up to 20 devices at once, set up in a charging station so we can get 20 phones going, and at least if, you, if they have their own charger, we can say plug in. we got more outlets. Mm -hmm. So we're providing people with communications. It's communications to their loved ones. I'm fine. I'm okay. Hey, I'm out of this medication. Do you have any extra? Blah, blah, blah. You know, part of the Red Cross communications and ready.gov is have a contact point outside of the disaster area that you can all check in with and say, I'm okay, I'm okay. You can find where your children are if you're separated from a tornado or something like that. You know, plus, I'm sure we're going to have our own cell phones there as well. And if you, someone has lost their cell phone due to the flood, the fire, or the tornado, and they come up to us, they, can we make a phone call? Uh, yeah, I'm sure you can use one. I'm going to be like, no jerk. We're going to help, except no, you can't use my phone. Yeah, yeah we put 10 cents in the box for us. Yeah. Now, if they want to charge up their iPad or their Android device so their kids can play their favorite game to help them relax and be distracted from what's going on, they're welcome to charge those things up as well. We're going to have plenty of power, as I have taught everyone. <laughs> the fourth thing we are supplying is some basic sanitation. Picture a large tornado area of devastation, and one of our scout anchor vehicles is set up right in the destruction path nearby to provide assistance. If you've been digging through the remains of your house, you might be dirty. So we'll have baby wipes and paper towels and some soap and some water to help you clean up before you eat what we're supplying to you or someone else is supplying to you, just to make you feel a little bit better. A box of baby wipes on a, a, a dirty body goes a long way to help a person who feels grimy to help them feel better and get clean. And yes, of course. We are bringing feminine sanitation supplies. I'm not a woman, but I can't imagine being on my period and my house and everything is either flooded, blown away, or burnt down. So we'll have plenty of stuff to take care of the ladies as well in this situation. So, Jack, does that sound like it'll be a benefit to people in a disaster? Yeah, and I mean, when you're talking about something like, where you know, all we're going to start out with food-wise is things like crackers, and I'm thinking, what I'm the first thing that came into my head when you said that was the people that two days into Hurricane Sandy, uh, in a fairly decent neighborhood, by the way, uh, that were helping each other climb into dumpsters. Yep. And they probably would have been pretty happy with a package of Austin peanut butter crackers. 
Uh, and, and I can see that we'll probably grow in what we supply. But the other thing is, the, the, the truth here is we have a lot of well-meaning people that are willing to, to sacrifice their time and their efforts to help others, put things together, put up money, put up time, put up effort. But we are brand new to the response side. Like, we have all this experience in dealing with our own problems, so we know what people need, and we can apply that knowledge, but we're going to get better at what we do as we respond to disasters. And therefore, it makes sense. Let's start out with some, there ain't nobody whose house is destroyed, that's hungry, that if you hand them a bottle of water and a, and a pack of crackers, is going to say anything other than thank you. Right. Yeah, and we're not limiting it to one pack of crackers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's three, we, we've allocated three packages of crackers per liter of bottle. Okay. If you want to stand there and have two liters of bottles and, uh, and, and 18 crackers, God bless you. We're welcome. Yeah. We're happy to supply these to you. But either way, it's going to take care of some of your thirst and some of your hunger. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think that's a great starting point. And I think it can help a lot of people. And I think, like, like my other thing that I always wanted with this was two to three days in, usually by then all the usual suspects have shown up. They've gotten their, their response center together. They've formed a plan. They've started to actually take over. It's that initial, you know, 48 to 72 hours that people go without help. And that's the time we can help. And you know what? Crackers and water will keep you alive for three, two or three days. They really will. And the, the, the cleaning stuff is paramount. And it's not just for health. It's also just for morale. Mm-hmm. When you're dirty and nasty and stink and you're just covered in grime and you're, you got dirt in your mouth and in your sores in your hands and stuff, it's hard to be like upbeat at all at that point, even, <laughs> even if your phone is charged. And I mean, another thing that makes me think of you remember the video? How much video footage did you see uh, the day of nine eleven with one person standing while another person was washing dust and grime and dirt out of their eyes with a, with a bottle of water that could yep. have been used for drinking water? So yep. having allowances to take care of that is huge, and you know, it's hopefully we'll never have to respond to anything like that. Hopefully, America's days with something that horrific are behind us but when a building is destroyed that's the result regardless of whether it's a giant building or a relatively small one in comparison dust dirt grime cuts injuries dirtiness infections things like that just to get a wound cleaned out or get scrapes cleaned out or for a mother to be able to clean the face of her child i mean or the butt of the child yeah, that's yeah, definitely that too. Uh, so. I mean, look, a thousand baby wipes cost eighteen dollars. We're wow. bringing, we're bringing them. Yeah, yeah, that's great that you guys even came up with that because that's that's why there's a team and it's not just me that tried to do this on my own. I wouldn't even have thought that way. A uh, uh, hundred hours of discussion on the subject, at least. Yeah, uh, at least a hundred hours. So. We also have to, on some levels, kind of choose our disasters that we respond to as we're a new, young, you know, infant organization. So what are the, the, the types of things that, you know, we, we're ready to muster now and go do and we, we're, we're ready to respond to? What, what type of disasters will we, will we take on at this point? Every disaster we can get to. Now, obviously, a blizzard might come through, and let's pick Buffalo, New York, and it might absolutely just drench the area, and there's no way with 20 or 40 inches of snow, and there's no way we can get in. If we can't get in, we can't get in to help. But as soon as the roads are open, we'll be one of the first ones in there. But, I mean, look, there's forest fires where people are forced to evacuate their house. 
floods. People are forced to evacuate their house and leave everything behind. Earthquakes can happen and upset your entire living conditions. They'll knock out your natural gas, they'll knock out your electricity, knock out your water, knock out everything that you're used to and just leave you feeling stranded and alone. We got massive tornadoes, which have been all on the news, that have just like wiped through Joplin, Missouri, and just left, left a train of discussion. We can go into those areas. That's why we got the tow strap, so like we can remove debris. You don't have to. You just need to hook up on one end and pull it to the side. You got leverage. And we can get in, and we can help the first responders. I mean, some of the self-responders in there are getting to pure exhaustion on their own. It's like, hey, guys, come on. We got some food. We got some water. We got some recharging abilities for you. We're going to help you out. Post-hurricane assistance, we know a hurricane is coming. We can be ready to go into a hurricane zone after the hurricane has has, has gotten through, as long as the roads are clear. Whatever, what other disasters am I missing, guys? There's a bunch of them. I mean, you name it, it can, it, it can and has happened. Um, I, I, I would say that one we haven't actually had happen yet, but is always potential, uh, is the aftermath of a major fire breakout. That hasn't been the case for 50 years because of fire codes, but don't think that can happen. I would also say that, uh, it, it's very possible that some, uh, something like a Ferguson, Missouri, and of course we're not going to respond in the middle of a riot, but uh, could could go powder keg. And then once it's over, you have the same problems that you would if it was a natural disaster. Yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, anywhere people are in need, if we can help, but we also have to follow the same mindset that first responders have, which is dead rescuers save no lives, and we have to put the safety and security of our people uh, at the forefront as well. Yeah, we don't need to become victims ourselves and have them come after us in addition to other people. We're there to help, not to be uh, you know, uh, to a burden. A burden. That's the word I was looking for. And, and that's, that's part of why we put this together as an organization, because there's a lot of first responders that feel that when random civilians get together and come to help, you think you're helping, but you're not. Right. You're in the way. You don't know what you're doing. You don't have any plan. We don't need a body count right now. What we need is food and water for people. You didn't bring any of that with you or you did. But it's you know, it, you, you brought a, a 50 gallon drum of water that we're not going to let you give out because we're not sure if it's safe or not. Uh, and you're following us around. You don't know how to do your own thing. So we didn't ever want to be that way, either from a chronic acute situation where we get ourselves into trouble or we're just seen as a pest by the right. people we're trying to help. Um, now, to me, we we probably need as many people as we can get in all aspects, from donations to regionals to anchors to whatever, but it would seem to me that it would probably be very beneficial just to have as many people involved as possible, that even people that wouldn't maybe be an anchor vehicle or whatever, if we happen to have a team member that's in the general area of the disaster even if they are not available for deployment or long-term active activity, the very fact that they could get there in 30 minutes and say, hey, guys, here's I, I found a place your anchor vehicle can come to. Here's what people are asking for. Um, I know the local uh, police department. I'll let them know you're coming, whatever. Like The more body count we could get just for that aspect seems very valuable. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, that's why we have uh, regional directors, and the regional director is the focal point of the communications. And that person would call the regional director and say, 
I'm here. I'm in the middle of this. This is what's going on. I know where the help needs to be and everything else. The regional director will get a hold of the scout anchor vehicle, and we'll go to that location, and that person can come and help if they so desire, or we'll end up helping that person. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now you there, put it that way, Steve, I guess we need to make sure people are just aware of, even if you're not directly involved, if you're aware that a disaster is, tell us what the hell's going on. Help us help you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, please. And one of the things they can do, they can do that through the um, Zello network that we've talked about before. They can come up on Zello and say, hey, I'm in this location. We'll be monitoring Zello as well. It'll be one of our forms of communications. And it's like, okay, great. We we know where to go. We know the name of the police chief. And they usually, you know, where I live, you have small town police chief. You have borough police chief. They might have six police officers on their force, six total. Okay. Yeah. So they will. It's not like a big city police where it's like with a SWAT team and everything. Oh no, they'll be very happy to see you show up, and they'll you know they'll give, they'll give you an escort. And out of those guys that are six guys, they they do have to sleep sometimes too. So if they're working twelve hours, you got three on, three off. You know, and and those guys will work more than twelve. But there's a point where any human being begins to shut down after you work. There's a, a threshold to how long you can be awake. And Greg, were you were you trying to say something there too? Well, what I was what I was just alluding to, and I think you guys have covered most of it, was that uh, we, you know, there are people who aren't going to be able to commit to the the uh, the, the twenty four hour notice kind of response. They have a nine to five Monday through Friday job that they they may feel like they're not eligible, but they might be able to, you know, like you said, report in what's going on, or maybe they, you know, because these things don't last just days. Sometimes they last weeks. And so if they can volunteer on the weekends, that, that's helpful. Um, you know, whatever, we'll take whoever can volunteer whatever they can, and we're, we will fully utilize all their time and talents that they can offer us. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, let me back up to that one question that has to do with the volunteering, and that is how long will I be deployed for? And the, the answer to that is you could be deployed from hours to three days max. You could be in a scout anchor vehicle, <laughs> show up at the Superdome in the middle of Katrina, and you could give out your 700 or 500 bottles of water and all your snack crackers in about an hour, and it's like, whoops, time for me to leave. Yeah. And, you know, you could be going, driving back out, reloading back up and driving back in, or you could be driving out and someone else is coming, coming back. So you could be there for hours, and as we've mentioned, it's, uh, we want you to be there. We want you to be configured in case something goes wrong for three days max. You don't have three days worth of food. That's why we got the feeder vehicles. It's our intention to rotate people in and out of the, of the disaster area. Those who can stay and want to stay, they can stay. Sure. Those that need to be rotated out with fresh people will be rotated out. The regional director will be coordinating this. In most disasters, there will be cell phone coverage, as this has been proven in Hurricane Sandy. However, if there's a lack of cell phone coverage, there's a basic standard operating procedure. And um, if there's a lack of coverage, you're going to do your SOP, which is you're going to go in, you're going to help, and then you, once you're out of supplies, you're, you're going to leave, leave the area and either get more and come back, or you'll drive into cell phone range, contact the regional director, say, I'm going back to this church location, and he'll send out three or four more fe feeder vehicles to completely restock you. 
So it is very much on the fly with the skills and talent of the people that we have to handle the existing situation. Well, and we're, I mean, we're not we're asking, asking people to join the Army Reserves here or anything either. This is a voluntary thing. So I look at it this way. If we can deploy to an area and we want to be there for three days, but we can be there for two, and we're there for two and we do all we can for that, and then we just don't have the manpower or resources or whatever to do any more there, whatever we've done simply would not have been done, period, the end over infinity, had we not been there. We right. are not the Red Cross. We're not trying to be. We are trying to help those who are left out on the edges, left out, and helping who we can. We can't help everybody, but whatever we can do to help somebody is probably worth doing. Yes, exactly. So um, if a person is a volunteer, we kind of touched on this already, but what kind of provisions do we make for them to be able to buy supplies uh, you know, on their way in to purchase things? Because that was the whole thing, that instead of having a stockpile of shit somewhere, and we have it all stockpiled, let's say, with you up in Pennsylvania, and now there's a disaster in California. Well, that sucks. So th- this agility thing involves people, like you said, going to Sam's Club at all. How are we handling that? Well, this, th- this, is, this is kind of the slick part of what we do. Um, all of our volunteers will be supplied a debit card. And when they get it, of course, it's going to be next to, next to empty. But when a disaster happens and the, the, re- the, the call has been made, the regional director will call the volunteer and say, okay, can you respond? And once the, the volunteer is committed to responding, we will automatically load the card with funds. They'll take that card to Sam's Club, and they'll purchase the water, the food, the other items that are on the list. We're going to provide them, load them into their vehicle, and then be able to take those, take those uh, supplies directly to the area of emergency all really fast. That's, that's the beauty of our system. Cool. And people that are like, uh, maybe I can't physically be involved, or even I can in a little bit, but I want to help out financially, that's really easy to do right away, right? Oh, absolutely. All they have to do is go to CACteam.com, and, and on the website it says it tells you how to donate. They can do it right there with the credit card. Uh, right now, as we're, as we're speaking, they can be donating. And what what kind of a, a percentage is our goal as far as, you know, funds? I mean, there's a certain amount of operational cost that any organization has, but, I mean, there's there's organizations out there that a lot of money seems to go to marketing to get more money, jets for CEOs to fly around on, um, God knows what else, but there's a tremendous amount of overhead in a lot of these groups. Uh, they pay salaries and things like that. What percentage do you guys envision of a dollar in is going to end up on the street helping somebody. Well, here's here's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for greater than 99% of all donations being able to go to actually helping others. You know, obviously, in the initial stages, there's going to be the ramp-up period where we're going to be buying the tents, the inverters, strobes, the, the signs, and all of the physical gear that we have to supply the volunteers. But once after that happens... Almost the almost 100% of that will go to the actual items that will help uh, the people who need it. Uh, the the place where we're going to have expenses are going to be things like filing our ta- a yearly tax return. That that sure. has to be done. But other than that, all of our staff, our volunteers, as well as the board of directors, no one receives any pay or salary from CAC. So that way you can be assured that your funds are actually going to help the people and not going to help pay for a yacht somewhere. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and first of all, if you took the group of people that are on the board, folks, and you said, what's an hour of their time collectively going to bill at? It's a lot. And, you know, they're doing these meetings three, four hours to figure all this stuff out at a time. That's all been donated. Uh, we've tried to keep the cost minimal, but there's certain things that have had to have been paid. But things like there were certain legal filing fees and things like that had to be paid to get our status. I just I just cut a check for that. I'm like, here, here, guys, take it, do it. I mean, we're doing everything we can to do this as an all-volunteer force with as little overhead as possible to make sure that the community can feel, you know, if all I can give is 10 bucks right now, I want to know that that 10 bucks went to help somebody. In fact, I think people that are in this position where they really want to help, but they can only scrape up 10, 15, 20 bucks to help out on any given uh, initiative, to them it's probably more important. Right, the person that you know, some philanthropist that can turn around in this month for a deduction, cut a five grand check to the Red Cross. It's not that important to them. It should be, but it isn't. But the person that's like said, like I've given what I what I have, and that's all that I have to that person. It's got to be critically important that they're doing it with a good steward, because otherwise they could have used it somewhere better. And and we're all one hundred percent committed to that. Absolutely, definitely. definitely. So what? What are our visions for the future? You guys have done a really great job at, at, at what I needed you to do, which is take my like grand vision of like a million things, and I rattle crap off. I create things in my head and tell somebody else to go do it, and, 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 and bring it down to four items and a, a basic procedure and systems. But I know you guys are planning on how to grow that to other things. So what, what are your plans for what CAC will be doing in the future? Why don't you take it, Steve, and then I'll follow up with you. Okay, well, we plan on first going out and helping people and gaining experience, uh, gaining reports from what our people have done, what's needed, what we were missing, uh, what we were doing very well, taking lots of photographs so we can put these up on our website and demonstrate to uh, people what we are, are doing. Uh, we hopefully will have the ability to be making food directly uh, at the site, at the location. I've done a lot of stuff with uh, basically making fried Indian bread and, uh, you know, the equivalent of donuts right there uh, in a disaster location. And I tell you what, with a little bit of flour and oil, you can turn in a pot of hot oil, you can turn out a lot of food. Uh, I had a preparedness class where I had 84 people there, and I trained four people how to feed all 84 people with this method, and we fed all 84 people within 45 minutes within the class, and those four people trained the other people how to do the same thing, and they rotated in and out. So we're looking at being able to uh, be making food at our location rather than just doing the crackers. It can evolve into, yeah, we're making soup, we're making a soup kitchen, but we intend upon growing. Uh, but the first thing we intend upon doing is responding. Then based upon our experience with responding with CAC Team version 1.0, we're going to be growing to CAC Team version 2.0. In addition, our website is going to be a resource for teaching people about things before a disaster. 
Now, all of those who know me and know I've done a lot of shows with Jack, I have them up on a website, and you can go there and you can listen how to power your house from your car and how to store gasoline for extra fuel and how to select a generator and everything else. We'll be making those available to everyone, as well as we'll be making available to people the best of Jack. Jack has done shows on making bug-out bags, bug-out locations. He's been done shows on food and water preparation and water sanitation. We're going to be making all of these available uh, in an online format and hopefully also in a printed format that we can give to people uh, as, as we are working at a location. I already have one sheet that I distribute to all my customers that has a list of all my different shows on it and what they're about. There's no reason why we can't have a flyer like that that lists to people uh, the best of uh, the best of Jack and the best of PSP and some other resources out there for them to get themselves supplied and equipped for the next disaster so they're better able to help themselves and we can help more people when we arrive. Gary? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's absolutely correct. And we, we've, we've spent a lot of time on the website making it so that, you know, it was the destination where we can send people. You know, you can, you can go there and make a donation. You can go there and, and volunteer. You can go there and, and, and post, you know, post uh, information that you have that you want, you want us to know about. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to, this episode, we're going to have on the website. So if you want, I mean, if you want to go back and listen to this episode again, you can do that. Or if you want to send your friends to listen to this episode to find out what is it that CAC Team does, you send them to CACTeam.com. They can hear what we do and say, you know, that's a worthwhile organization. Let me make a donation or let me, let me volunteer. I, I can, I can give a weekend when, when there's something that needs to be done. So yeah, we, the, the the website is one of the things we spend a lot of time on making it user friendly, making it so that uh, you know it prepares us for the future and keeps us streamlined so that we can be that agile organization. Yeah, and I would say that like I I would hope that no one out there would not volunteer because they might not be able to respond. Um, I mean, we want somebody that's pretty, if we're going to make the investment of putting somebody into uh, an anchor vehicle, we want a pretty firm, you know, commitment and all kinds of things can always go wrong when a person can't go. But, you know, anything else barring an emergency of your own, if if we're calling on you, we can count you to be there. But uh, simply be a, a volunteer. Um, you may or may not be able to go, but if we have you on the docket and we can call you and find out if you can go, then that's a resource that we have that we can. And in the end, if we have if we have 10 people who all think I'll be able to go no matter what and something happens in their area where we ask them to go, maybe half of them will be able to go. Right. Uh, maybe 20 percent of them will be able to go. If we have 100 that are all like, I don't know if I'll be able to go. You know, what we're still going to end up with. 30 to 50% that will be able to go. Mm-hmm. So when we have a certain body count, we can start to have a certain average response percentage that we over time will be able to know if something goes wrong here, this is what we are going to be able to commit. And you being there means that we have that data point because like I said, there'd be times where I, I would just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm good for two weeks. I'll shut the business down. Then there'd be times like I can't do it and I'm more flexible than most. So, anybody's going to be in that boat. So please don't 
if you want to help, if you want to volunteer, don't think that, you know, number one, you're not joining the Army Reserves. Governor, uh, Governor Harris isn't going to deploy you, uh, <laughs> you know, with no right of refusal. And, uh, you know, we, we just need anybody and everybody who's willing to try to help. And if you can give us a day, we'll take a day. Yeah. As we said, you could be there for an hour. You could go be there and distribute everything within an hour or so, and then you're out of there. And you've just helped, you know, 500 people. And, you know, that's a huge contribution to 500 people when no, no one else is there. Plus, we got the regional directors of George and Gracie in St. Louis have an, a scout anchor vehicle and they can't deploy. They got their, their child's being married that weekend. It doesn't mean that Herbert and Henrietta can't come over and pick up their stuff for their scout anchor vehicle and then they deploy. We've really integrated communications and flexibility into this organization. There's no rigidity. We move, we are, we move on our feet. We respond, we think what, about what's going on, and we make a decision, and we ask people for their assistance, and then we move resources in that direction. And, and, and we do things a big group couldn't. So, for instance, you know, thanks to you, Steve, my vehicle's powered up, right? And, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to use any of the organization's resources. The things that need to be added, I'll add. Let's say I couldn't deploy, but let's say we had another volunteer down the road who could deploy. Do you think I'm not going to hand them my keys? Right? Maybe, maybe, I, yeah, I maybe, 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 Big Red can go. Maybe, maybe not. You might hand them your keys, or you might not. And that's why the Scout yeah. Anchor vehicle is configured with basically everything that can fit into the bed of a pickup truck, is because I can pull my pickup truck up to yours. Oh, that's true. Pull all the resources off of it, that's and then true. then go help. And then when it's over three days later, I go back to you and it said it's like and push all the stuff from my pickup truck right back to you, and now you're reconfigured. We are flexible. That's brilliant, and that's why we don't go and put a Stephen Harris battery bank in the back of every vehicle because that doesn't just swap out really easy. That's right. That takes but as long as I trusted the guy, and if he's on the team, I'm going to have to trust him. I'd probably send him with Big Red. I mean, it would just <laughs> it'd be easier and be more more as Tim Allen would say, more power. <laughs> 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 but guys, um, first of all, I want to tell everybody um, I, I just logged on to the site. I filled out uh, an application to be a volunteer to my own organization. I helped found because I realized I hadn't done that yet. In the bio, I put it's me. You know who I am. Uh, and then I made a donation, um, and so I know it works. So it, it's 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 up, it's functional. You guys can start contributing today. You can start volunteering today. And the website, of course, again, is cacteam.com. And either one of you, again, you want to tell them what CAC stands for and, and why we chose that? Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, it's Citizens Assisting Citizens Incorporated, which is it's, it's obvious. We're all citizens, and we're assisting each other. And we're building that community, even with people we don't know. And that's that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, you know, Gary, Steve, uh, sorry, Greg, Steve, thank Greg. you guys for being here with me today, uh, taking your time, all the work you've done behind the scenes that up till now I think has been woefully underappreciated because no one was able to see it. It's like everybody likes the sausage, but you don't really know how much work goes into making it behind the scenes. And you guys have and, – and the rest of the board and all the other – People, we have regional coordinators already in place ready to go. Uh, a huge thanks to all of you guys. And this took a long time. I mean, long enough that I lived in Arkansas, 
when the when the 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 idea was born. Two and, years ago, Jack. Yeah, yeah, and, and and ideas are easy. Delivery's tough. You guys did the delivery, man. Thanks to both of you and everybody hey, else. Hey, Greg, I'm having a a, a, a brain fart. What's uh, Josh's last name? Sloan. So Josh, Josh Sloan. Sloan. We got to send out a huge, huge thank you to uh, Joshua Sloan, which I believe is SloanTech.net or SloanTech.com. Yep. You can you can Google him. You can find him. He did our website. He he volunteered. He's not even on the board, and he volunteered, and he did our complete website, the setting up of the forms, the setting up of, of the donations, the setting up of everything you see and everything that is online that makes CACteam.com as good as it is was done by Josh Sloan, and we owe him uh, a great uh, deal of thanks. And he does freelance uh, web work as well. and Countless, countless hours. I mean, it's... There's nobody will ever know how many hours he put into this. I mean, he would just, he would just was constantly working on it and constantly tweaking it. And no, that's not good enough. It's got to be better. No, it's got to be better. And, and, uh, it, it was amazing how much effort he put into it. Well, yeah, definitely. And I mean, one of the things we need to think about as a community is, is looking after each other. And there's a uh, hundred thousand people listening to this today, plus uh, a few more. Um, likely some of you will have some web design, web development, graphic development needs in the next year or, or so. I'll have a link in the show notes today uh, for Josh's site. And please consider, you know, keeping it in the community to a degree. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the amount of time that went into all of it and the cost to us, if we had had to pay somebody to do it, would have been thousands and thousands of dollars. So a uh, huge thank you to him. And, again, a thank you to you, Greg and uh, Steve, for being with me here today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. I just looked it up at SloanTech.com. So. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. And, and guys, again, thank you. And uh, folks, please get on out to the site. Donate if you can. Volunteer if you can. Uh, and remember, do not let the fact that you may not be able to deploy uh, keep you from putting your hand up and saying you're willing to if you can. Uh, you may find the disaster that you respond to ends up in your own backyard. And it's a funny thing when disasters actually affect the company you work for, uh, they get pretty liberal on letting you go fix things. Uh, so just remember, this can happen anywhere, at anybody, anywhere, at any time. That's why we've done it. Again, thanks, guys. And, and uh, with that, I'll say, I've been Jack Spirico along with Stephen Harris and Greg Gray helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution is you.